Welcome to Two Girls in a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and I need people to stay out of my business and out of my uterus. Oh, hey, girl. <laughs> and I'm Jules, and it's been about four weeks since my last drink, and this Supreme Court bullshit is driving me to my 200-bottle wine fridge. Something had to. Something had to drive you there. Listen, something was gonna break the camel's back, and this has been it. Well, I mean, if... If there was ever a time to be friends with us, it's now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to kick us off, let's start with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Um, so Jules, I'm I'm pretty sure I know what your Jeers is, but maybe let's let's start on a positive note. What's your Cheers? My Cheers is to the newest addition to our family. And no, I'm not pregnant, everybody. Um, I like my alcohol too much. Um, we adopted a third dog. She has all four of her legs, unless, unlike the last dog that we adopted, Penny, that has three legs. But Zoya is now part of our permanent family. I love it. I love that she's standing. I'm still getting used to it, but we love her. She's pretty We really great. do. She's pretty great. <laughs> I mean, we may have had to sequester them in a bedroom because with they, Rob. Yes. they decided to play the moment we started this. Correct. Yes, <laughs> we did. But she is pretty great. Yeah. And um, dare I ask what your cheers is? Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. The fucking Supreme Court. That's that's my cheers. I have nothing else to say about it. All right. Fair. fair How fair. about you? So uh, I'll also start on a positive note. I am cheersing <laughs> to Verona, Italy this episode. Okay. Uh, Fair Verona. Fair Verona. They have just announced that they are building the world's largest wine museum. And I'm excited for them. I'm excited for me. I'm excited to plan a trip. I've actually never been to Verona. I was there for a wedding three years ago. Was that where the wedding was? Yep. We did the opera. I mean, it was, we did a whole like Romeo and Juliet tour. Oh my God. Yes. That's what I want. That's what I want. It was so cool. So I've done all, like all over Italy, like Rome, Venice, Florence. Um, I did Isle Capri, but I haven't done Verona. So this, I'm like, great. Well, it's time to go back. Fair Verona is in your future. Yep. I like it. What is your jeers this week? <laughs> uh, same, girl. Same. Oh, you're going to keep it short and sweet, too? Yeah, that motherfucking Supreme Court. <laughs> like, I just... And that's all we have to say that's about all that. all we have to say about that. Episode Shawinigans is in honor of women winemakers and and really women everywhere because girl we be fighting for our rights right now fighting (laughs) for our rights and so Uh, as Jules and I were thinking about what can we do our cheers and cheers segment (laughs) thank you jeez um I think I think they're all on message at this point but as we were thinking about our Shawinigans. We were also thinking about American female political figures who, one, we admire, and two, we need. We need either in spirit, we need to light, like, a candle and have an ofrenda, too, or we need, like, right, right now. Right, right now. Um, And so we thought we'd be fun today to pair some famous American female political figures with a wine that we think they personify. 
Correct. So, Drea, why don't you start and tell me what you think Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the notorious RBG, would be drinking with us? So, Ruth is classic. Right, like the lace collars on her Supreme Court But also she's robe. a badass. No, she's so, classic, but exactly. she is not fucking around. She's not. She is trailblazing. She's a badass. And, and she's drinking? And she is drinking an un-oak Chardonnay. She's taking okay. a little bit of that classic, but really respecting the grape. The tradition. As one should. Yes. Um, and respecting the law, and she is trailblazing that glory of the unoak shard for all of us. Okay. All right. So, on that note, Jules, our latest Supreme Court justice appointee, Katanji Brown Jackson. Yes, Katanji J. The first black female Supreme Court justice. What wine is she drinking? I chose a GSM, which is a Grenache Syrah Mouvedre blend, because she can appeal to a wide group of picky fucking bitches. As we saw during the hearings, she was able to keep it together, answer thing, answer the questions from the various senators, Democratic and Republican, be poised, in a really be smooth, sort of neutral way. So I'm going with a GSM for my girl. Yeah. Looking, KBJ. Looking at you, Mitch McConnell. That's no, right. That's fuck right. You, Mitch McConnell, you turtle face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, you're not. Carry on. No, you're not. So, moving on to the first female vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. What oh, do you think she's drinking? I love me some Kamala Harris. She's I from California. I think she's great. I loved her. I am speaking. I just vibe with her vibe. Um, but she's been a little, I feel like a little, a little absent. Si- she's been a little sidelined. She's been yeah. absent in the last couple of years. She's definitely been sidelined. Um, it is not quite the vice presidency that I really wanted her to have. Because I'm such a fan. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to say she's a Merlot. And, no, before all of you judgy bitches start in on me, let me explain why. Because if you all recall, when I took that stupid stupid fucking BuzzFeed quiz that will haunt me forever. That said you were a Merlot that said, I Yeah, said I was a Merlot. So she's, she's a Merlot sister. But here's the thing. She may not be super popular right now, but mark my words, she's going to have a resurgence. Just like Merlot. Just like Merlot. Just like Merlot. Everything comes back around. She's going to have a resurgence. Okay. So, you know, watch this space, everybody. Let's see if that comes true. <laughs> it was predicted here first on Two Girls in a Grave. <laughs> All right. So here's a fun one for you, Jules. Um, everybody's favorite, Michelle Obama. Oh, Former yeah. first lady. Love her. Boss lady to Barack. General badass, what is she drinking? She is drinking a sparkling rosé. Yeah, she is. Because she is fancy as fuck, but she also loves to have a good time. Heck yeah. So. It's probably sustainable, too. I'm just going to say because she cares. Well, also because she had the garden, the White House garden, and she's all about that. Edible schoolyard, all of that, yeah. And um, can we just acknowledge her amazing... New Year's Eve outfit with the shorts and the blazer. 
I was just for all it. of her outfits. I know. Can I'm we just just, just not single anything out, but just say all just of her, her general are gloriousness. Next on our list is Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. AOC. What do you think she's drinking while she's doing her Instagram lives? Oh, I love her Instagram lives. I also. Everyone, she was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, and I was living for it. So she was? She was. I did not know that. She was U.S. Representative of the New York's 14th Congressional District. And guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. What's she drinking? <laughs> she, so, I love her. I think she's hilarious. I think she's great. And I 100% think she is drinking a orange, natty-ass wine. Um, Why? Because her Green New Deal, obviously, she's obviously. like sustainability, ecosystem, all of it. She's she wants it. unfiltered barrel yeast, all of it. I, I buy it. Yeah. I'm into it. All right. Next on our list, Jules, you get Tammy Duckworth, Purple Heart decorated veteran and senator from Illinois, which you have lived in. I yep. have lived in semi-proudly. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> So what is she drinking? What's Tammy drinking? So I think that she is going, she's going to reach for a Chocolina. I love it. And the reason that I pick this particular wine is because I think it's unique and has a cool story and a cool history just like her. Yeah, I think that that works for her. Thanks for your stamp of approval, Drea. I try. I try to be accommodating. So Drea. Moving on to Stacey Abrams. I'm pretty sure no one needs any big introduction to who she is. I mean, I would hope not, but she is running for governor in Georgia. Um, Volunteer for her campaign. She's rad. And frankly, Stacey be drinking rosé all day. And I just would love to share a bottle with her, sit in the sun, shoot the shit. I, You know, she is such like a people person and a community grassroots organizer that I think her whole thing is like wine for the people and Rosé is a great unifier in the wine world I think I see it I would love to sit around and drink Rosé all day with Stacy. oh hell yeah I'm into it Stacy, we love you reach out we to love us you. okay so next on our list is Deb Holland who is a Laguna Pueblo tribal member and the first indigenous U.S. Secretary of the Interior. So, what is she drinking? I think that Deb is going to be reaching for a fortified wine, such as a sherry or a port. And this is really because she has had to and continues to deal with a lot of colonialistic shit. Yeah. So, our girl needs some fortified wine. But also, like, you know, sherry and port come from... The Spain. colonies. Yeah. <laughs> well, they come from Spain and Portugal, right? Like, the motherland. Yes. But she's like, nah, re rewriting this narrative, reinventing the enemy's wine. That's right, bitches. It's true. Yep. Yeah. Love that. And so for our final Shawinigans character today, we are focusing on Sonia Sotomayor, who is the first Latina Supreme Court justice. What do you think she is drinking today? You know, today, Sonia's like, that wine needs to fuck right off. Someone pour me a scotch neat because she is having to deal with some serious fucking bullshit in this conservative-leaning Supreme Court right now. So, Sonia, 
Thank you for looking out for us. We are here for you. You enjoy that scotch, girl. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. So for episode 31, we are featuring Black Girl Magic California Rosé, the 2020 release. And I want to talk for a minute about the intentionality behind this pick. Um, With everything that's going on with the Supreme Court and the major assault on women's rights and frankly just assault of women in general in this country right now, we really wanted to highlight a woman-owned, a minority-owned wine enterprise. And that's what they are. Like, they are an enterprise at this point. Uh, And somehow, neither Jules nor I had ever tried one of their bottles. Shocking. (laughs) We wanted to... We've tried a lot of wine. Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed, to be honest with you. But we really wanted to be very conscious of celebrating women this episode. So... Black Girl Magic California Rosé is from the McBride sisters. The price point is about $20, which honestly is on the higher end for like your grocery store varietals, right? Like things you're just cruising down the aisles for for while you grab like your yogurt and your bread and stuff. Uh, The ABV is 13.5, which for a rosé is pretty high, Yeah, you know? Um, that was something that I was like, Oh, look at that. All right. Maybe I should have lunch today. (laughs) (laughs) And a couple of notes on the wine. Uh, it was a gold medal winner at the Monterey international wine competition in 2021. And it is just a small part of the extensive black girl magic wine empire. So the McBride sisters have multiple lines of wine, Um, and I think Jules is going to tell us a little bit more about that in just a minute here. In terms of varietal, this particular bottle is a blend of Syrah and Merlot, but the blend does change each year based on harvest and availability because they do source from multiple vineyards. So that's kind of the foundation of what we're drinking today, and Jules, drop some fun facts on us. Okay, fun facts with Jules. Uh, so, uh, Black Girl Magic has a book club, which Dre I and I this. are actually bibliophiles. We love to read. In our We're, own respective book clubs. <laughs> yeah, so we both are part of book clubs, and we have given each other books to read. So, this was particularly interesting to me. So, you can be part of the book club, and it's um, four times per year. So it's not a a monthly book club. So it's a quarterly book club. You get a selection of wine along with a pre-release book. um, And they partnered with Simon & Schuster for that. So you get to read a book before it's released to the public. And then you get a selection of wine to drink with the book. And I think it's two bottles that you get, right? I think it's two bottles. But you can go to their website and and check out, like, what the details are. I'm not going to lie. I kind of want to do this. Yeah. And they started it in um, 2021, I think, you know, obviously during the pandemic. So it kind of makes sense, right? It's like, how do we create community in a time where – we can't have like in-person community. So I thought that was really cool. And still drink. And still drink. <laughs> yes. Um, they, in addition to their line of bottled wines, they also have canned wines and it's called She Can. I love that. I and love so that so much. I thought that was super, super fun. 
um, that they have this line of canned wines and a, you know canned sparkling wines that you could you know take to a picnic and take to a you know maybe a park concert or something. So it and it's have not it your pool party. I've never seen before on the shelves. So I'm not really sure about the distribution of the canned wine per se, but they do have it. So I think for the canned wine because I have seen it out. Okay. Never, I didn't actually realize it was their the line until we started yeah. working on this episode um, but I have seen them at kind of more alcohol focused establishments mm-hmm. so things yeah. like BevMo, Total Wine they're definitely out there though for sure yeah um, so they do have that and it's called She Can and then they also have this um, She Can Fund so it's kind of a play on their canned wine but also a play on like women can do whatever they want, anything. Um, And it basically provides professional development scholarships and grants to emerging female leaders. So um, since its inception in 2019, over $400,000 in funds have been distributed to women. So I think that that's a really cool aspect of what they're doing, right? So it's uh, a company with a social conscience. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially today, um, sort of through the pandemic, through um, the summer of 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, Maud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, I think consumers are a lot more aware of where they're spending their dollars mm-hmm. and a lot more willing to spend dollars with organizations that align with their own kind of morals and values. I know I know I certainly have. Yeah. Um and I've always I mean I think both you and I have been always very invested in like shopping small and supporting local and things like that. That's just part of our our profile um and a testament to kind of how much we love like our neighborhood and right. our communities. But but also because of where we live, it's easy to do that. Exactly. Like and it's not a hard it it's not a lot of effort to do that. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's certainly a privilege, right? Um, And I think that what the McBride sisters have done to kind of bring that sense of awareness of social equity and camaraderie to a business on such a large scale is really admirable. Drea, why don't you tell us more about where this wine is coming from and how they're producing it? Yeah, so it's a really interesting story um, that's not necessarily about the wine this time, which I think is interesting. What? I know, shocking and kind of new for us. Um, so usually, you know, we talk about the region a lot. As our listeners know, I am a region hoe. I am a dirt lover. I'm all about the terroir. But for this bottle, I didn't find a lot of information about the vineyards that this wine is being sourced from. And frankly, that doesn't surprise me, right? Because since Black Girl Magic, like that label of the wines that they, that the McBride sisters make is so prolific and has such a large production, you know, my best guess is that they are sourcing from lots of different vineyards across California coastal regions. So that would be my best guess in terms of where, you know, the grapes in this bottle are coming from in particular. But it's, I would like to add a disclaimer here. Yes. Andrea knows. I do that know. This is, a, this is a little bit of a 
a little pet peeve of mine about this. You're I did reach out. I did reach out to them to ask a couple of questions about um, something that I wanted to do with fun facts, but also because I knew that we didn't have information about the vineyards, the specific vineyards. So I reached out to them to ask these two questions, and the response that I got back from them was that if the marketing team wanted to pursue this opportunity, they would reach out to me. I want to be really clear that I never asked for free wine. I never asked for anything other than I asked two questions about their wine that I wanted to include in the podcast. So it, I definitely felt a little bit put out by that because I feel like most of the other um, producers and winemakers that we've reached out to have been more than happy to kind of you know, circle back and, and give us all the information that we're asking for. So Right. And I think, too, the, the key difference is that a lot of the producers we work with are small. You know, they're, yep. you know, there's one winemaker or there's, you know, two or three winemakers who are doing kind of the bulk of that work. And with McBride Sisters, it really is an enterprise. Okay. What we do know is that their headquarters are currently based in San Francisco. Uh, and so obviously, you know, they're pulling a lot of grapes from vineyards in that Napa, Sonoma, Central Coast area. But again, it's really hard to pinpoint where exactly the grapes from this particular bottle are coming from. Uh, but they do have kind of two lines going, which we'll we'll talk about a little bit more in a few minutes here. But they source all of their grapes regardless of the lines from California and New Zealand. And they really make wines in the styles of these two wine producing areas. So, and I think that the, the reason behind that is really interesting. Let's get into the winemakers a little bit. Robin and Andrea McBride are the founders of McBride Sister Wines. And they are the first African-American sister duo to found and establish a wine company, which is you know, one, a huge deal, especially because it's become so prolific. But two, also like women, women don't own wine companies. Yeah. It's a white man's world. Yeah, exactly. And they really sought to, to change that from the very beginning of their work. And what's really interesting about them is they're drawing on their experiences of growing up uh, in Monterey and in New Zealand. And that has really influenced the wine that they make and their methods of production. And so even though they grew up on very different sides of the globe uh, and found each other late in life as adults, they... Okay, so tell me a little bit about that because one of the things I was kind of confused about was it's the McBride sisters, but then they met each other in like 1999 and I'm like wait I'm confused what does that mean right give me a little bit of background on that so they share the same father okay they have different mothers and they really didn't know about each other until they were adults and at that that time they decided to meet they instantly hit it off they both had a passion for wine and eventually that started the McBride Sisters Wine Company. So McBride Sisters has become not only the largest black-owned wine company in the US, U.S., but has really worked to bring a larger sense of equity to the wine industry. So I think that, you know, let's just have some real talk here. The no. wine 
shocking on well, this podcast. We don't ever do that. <laughs> but the wine industry has really been dominated by men and white frankly men. by white men, yeah. right? Um, and I think that that came to a really ugly head a couple years ago in light of the Me Too movement and the scandal with the Court of Masters, which has been sort of the, the standard in wine and wine education for so long. And I feel like the wine world is finally catching up to the ethos of the rest of the world where, you know, we we need to do better. And there needs to be a better sense of equity and organizations and individuals need to be held accountable for their actions. And I think that Black Girl Magic um, and the McBride Sisters as an enterprise has really been one of the producers that has led the charge in part because they are so visible. Like they're on mm-hmm. so many shelves and that's always they've a, great a great thing. They've got a great platform. Yeah, yeah, they have a great, and they've done really great things with it. So let's talk a little bit about what they are doing with their platform. And I think, you know, the first thing is really looking at their core values, which are sustainability, empowerment, innovation, and community. And you know, sustainability is something that we've talked about on the podcast quite a bit, right? We we oftentimes look at producers who are really doing sustainable or organic farming pro- processes and really makers that are treating the vineyard as an ecosystem uh, and as not just a means of production, but as this living thing, right? But I think this idea of empowerment and community is something that we don't see as much in the wine industry. And we should, because those are things that are really important. And both Jules and I know so many women in wine. And the work that they do, our favorite wine shop is Mm woman-owned, is queer-owned. And, you know, they do such an amazing job with not only the wines that they source and the care that they take in... Um, what they serve, but also like with their employees. Right. And, and how also they... building the community yep. around them, you know, their customers and the wine club and like, you know, just everything about like what you what you experience when you go there. Right. And well, and getting people to care about what's in their glass. Yep. Right. And so we can think about the McBride sisters, I think, as doing that on a much larger on a platform. Big level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is honestly fantastic. I feel like anything that gives visibility to values like this is, is one, much needed, and two, very much appreciated, right? So, so what, is their, what, what is their winemaking and business philosophy? So I found a great interview with them um, that they did with Forbes, and they said, quote, We are focused on making wines that are both accessible and that express each of the places we grew up in. We describe our signature style as old world style with new world finesse. Both areas are naturally beautiful and leaders in environmental protection, so sustainable farming and winemaking practices are key to us. Better grapes make better wine. Uh, And I think that the way that they approach this, you know, really holistically, but also as a nod to their heritage and that heritage that they cultivated separately but also together is you know really beautiful like i love the fact that wine is so much about narrative and this story about how they met and how they grew in the business together i think is is so 
lovely to think about in terms of, you know, how we value, how women value other women mm-hmm. and how women value sisterhood and how women value um, the work that they do together. Yeah. And so how long have they been doing this? So they've been in operation for 13 years, which, you know, is relatively young for a wine company that has experienced this level of growth. And also when you think about, when you just think about vines, when we talk about some of the places that we're tasting the wines, the vines are 100 years old Mm -hmm. or more if they're from, if we're tasting wines from Europe, they're older than that, but you know, California or North American wines, sort right. of a hundred year old vines. Absolutely. And so 13 you know, years is pretty young. She a teenager. She a teenager. <laughs> but I also, that doesn't tell us where they're sourcing their grapes from Mm-mm. still. So they still might. And I would True. imagine yeah. for their, like their higher um, lines. The reserve lines. Yeah, their yeah. reserve lines that they're sourcing grapes from. You know, vineyards have probably been in operation for some time. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the business because, again, we just talked about kind of the exponential growth. So let's take a look at that process. So they met for the first time in 1999, and their curiosity for wine became a true passion as they decided to start their first business venture, which was actually a wine import business importing unique New Zealand wines into the U.S. market. And that really actually fits the timeline for that. You know, Mm -hmm. I feel like New Zealand wines are really gaining traction in the U.S. in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, Sauve Blanc is kind of on the map at that point, which New Zealand does really well. And I just think that that illustrates kind of the entrepreneurial spirit of these two women. But this venture launched their first production, Eco Love Wines, which was a sustainable wine company based in New Zealand. Um, And then in 2010, they started the McBride Sisters Wine Company, which really broke the mold of male-dominated and predominantly white wine male, like white men um, in the wine business. And they became the first African-American sisters to own a wine company. So they've really prided themselves on innovation um, and developing a line of wines that are balanced, that are reflective of the places that they come from, and that are accessible to a wide audience. So they also have, I think we've mentioned their reserve, which is the McBride Sisters collection. And the collection... um, was launched in more than 1,500 retail locations nationwide. So even for a reserve, that's a pretty that's high a, production. Yeah, yeah. that's a, a wide net. Mm-hmm. And it consists of four wines crafted in the McBride Sisters signature style, which is really, again, that blend of old world um, grapes and new world technique. So, for example, in that Forbes interview, they say, quote, we encourage the wine consumer to explore outside of the old expectation of wine. It's more than a great winemaker. It's much more than just a beverage. It's an experience. It's how you feel, what you see, smell, and hear as you prepare to taste the wine. Our mission is to create your perfect wine experience. And, you know, while that may seem like a lofty goal, right? Like, it, yeah. it sounds a little like something you would read in a website, on a website. But it's also what we talk about a lot on yeah. the podcast about it's experiential. It's referential in terms of 
if I say something smells like raspberries, if you've never had a raspberry, you have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Exactly. So it's about like your sensory collective experience. experience and how that then informs how you experience their wine. Right. And I think too that, you know, that open spirit of their wine and their mission is really attractive to a lot of people who may just be wading into the wine world. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about when I first started drinking wine. She was 10. <laughs> I think she was 16, actually. But um, yeah, close enough, close enough. Um, but you, you know, you, you have to be one sort of trained to think about these things. Like, you know, your palate gets better the more you taste, right? The more you eat, the more you drink. Like, no one's born with that perfect palate. And then, two, I think wine, you know, and I'll speak for myself, like, as a woman of color, it is an intimidating industry to be involved in. Like, it's, you know, I think that already, you know, I walk into a tasting room, there are a couple strikes against me. I think just as a woman, there are a couple strikes against me in some way, shape, or form. And... To be quite open and honest, like, I'm guilty of it, too. She loves to make a joke about a fucking bachelorette party bus. Love it. Love it. I've been on one. Still love making the joke, right? And, you know, the reality is, is that we don't don't think about it as, like, a woman's game and as a woman's place, like so many other things culturally. But I love that they have really committed to extending that invitation and I think that that's so important in wine to do that openly and honestly and with good intention and that we frankly don't see it enough. So I, I really appreciate the gesture within their philosophy. And I would add to that, like as a white woman, that it's, it is also intimidating to walk into a tasting mm-hmm. room when you feel like maybe you don't have the right vocabulary or the right experience to speak about the wine. And I think that tasting rooms, especially the smaller, more independent, um, organic wines, are doing a better job of not making people feel that way. Yeah, but for sure. To kind of go back to the idea of like it's kind of a white man's world. If you're just if you're anything but a white man, it's a little bit of an intimidating experience to step into this world and dive into it and and try to be educated about it and learn about it and you know so i would say just just to your point about just being a woman and just in yeah, general just whether in general. of color or of very light skin scottish skin like me like it's <laughs> we are really very complimentary still, yeah <laughs> it's it's it can still be intimidating and you know just um hard to wade into those waters yeah certainly and you know it's been really interesting for me to kind of explore the wine world and my wine chops and it always I always even today like I walk into a tasting room and we'll have a conversation start having a conversation with someone and to see that moment of recognition like Mm -hmm. oh 
she does drink something other than barefoot. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, oh, she, it's she yeah. knows what she's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like it's an interesting um experience or like going out to dinner with my husband, who is a very white man slash silver fox. You know, he is a silver he fox. He is a silver John. fox. Shout out to John. Shout out to John. But um <laughs> I know. Wait, stay tuned for the husband's episode. <laughs> oh, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> but, you know, like, they'll hand him the wine list or oh, give him the pour. And he... <laughs> I fucking hate that shit. I, I do oh, feel like, though, both God. of our husbands are like, no, no, no. Like, They're like, no, get, here, get, she, yeah, she's the let, one. Let yeah. her figure that 100%, out. 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just think that having those experiences I appreciate the work that the McBride sisters are doing all the more and to that I would add one final quote uh, you know about the black girl magic line from them is that the wine is not about us the McBride sisters but as a thank you for all the support and inspiration that we get from so many amazing women over the years to us Black Girl Magic is that drive, it's a creativity, resilience, and innovation that shines brightly. And this bottle is our celebration of that essence. And I think that when they talk about this bottle, they just mean the wine in the bottle, not necessarily the bottle that we're drinking today. Right. No, I think that they really mean like the work that they have done yes. to change the narrative in the wine industry. And I appreciate it. And I appreciate them. And I think we can all appreciate that. Okay, so Jules, I know you have been uh, anticipating opening this bottle for many reasons, but let's take this deep dive into it. You ready for this? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, so we have just poured it out, and let's talk a little bit about the color. Wh what do you think? Okay, so my initial thought is this is not the color of rosé that I love. It's like it's not that really soft pink that I, I guess you might attribute to like a French rosé. Provence style. Yes. Yeah. This is more of kind of like that salmon-y, like darker pink that I always think I'm not going to like this wine. This, I tend to not gravitate towards that color. Yeah, this is a very true like salmon, corally pink for sure. And like you... Uh, I also have some preferences when it comes mm -hmm. to... You do? I, I know. Shocking. <laughs> shocking. Uh, I do really like that rosé that is incredibly light pink, almost to the mm -hmm. point of being peach. But I also love the really dark, almost ruby rosés that's really characteristic of certain regions like in Italy. Italian or and Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, and it tends to be like one or the other for me. Yeah. So mm -hmm. this is... Very typically, you know, not something that I would normally find in my glass. Yeah. Okay. So, so I like this is like a true like rose gold. Yeah. Is absolutely. what I would say. This is like that. It is if pretty. For the people listening, like this is a rose gold color. Right. Versus the very pale pink or the really, really rich, deep, dark pink. So, what I will say is this would be great for a theme party. What would the theme party be? I don't know. Rose gold. <laughs> okay. It's fine. Sure. It's fine. Let's we'll get to that when we talk about situational analysis of fine, where we were drinking this. Fine. Don't okay, have my so moment. let's smell it. <laughs> okay. Let's what do you whip. smell? <laughs> I just want to point out that Drea has her nose 
really far into this glass. It's a really big glass. I have a really tiny nose. It is a big glass. I did bust out. I busted out the good glasses this time. Okay, so the nose to me is really interesting. Um, I do think it's really fruit forward. I'm getting like pomegranate, uh, summer berries, so like strawberries, raspberries, but there's also, I think, some light floral notes. Hmm. A little bit of like honeysuckle, a little bit of orange blossom, maybe. I'm more like maybe in that camp because. I'm going to be very, like, non-wino scientific about it and say I just smell sugar. Like, I'm smelling really sweet stuff. So I'm smelling, like, cotton candy. So maybe the, that's where, yeah. like, the orange blossom, maybe even, like, a jasmine. Yeah. A little bit like that. Like, mm-hmm. kind of, like, very kind of powerful, sweet scent. It, this is actually the nose in terms of the sugar um, and being able to get it right away is reminiscent of our last episode and the chapel down sparkling. And when we opened that bottle, mm. it was just like this woof of yeah. You know, yeah. candy, sugar. Um, it did mellow out, but just for our listeners to know that we've actually had this bottle open and in our glass for about 20 minutes now. And we're still getting kind of that, mm-hmm. that sugary scent yeah. on it. So, you know, that's one thing to take away from this is even kind of opening up. It still has that aroma. It also has really long legs. Like, it's coating the inside of the glass pretty well. Oh, yeah, for a rosé? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to... Um, that's telling me I should anticipate some body, maybe, when I take a take a taste. Mm-hmm. We're staring deeply into each other's eyes. We're trying to figure out how to be diplomatic about how to talk about this. <laughs> All right, um... <laughs> I start. How about I start? Yeah. Drea is better at this than I am. (laughs) So the first thing I notice is there is, there's definitely like, this is a high acid wine. You Mm kind of get that initial acid punch that slaps you in the face a little bit and kind of makes, um, like makes the salivary glands in your mouth, you know, kind of, yeah, water a little bit. So for me with a wine that has this much acid though it it takes a hot minute to kind of let that pass over your palate and then really start to to recognize some distinct flavor profiles and so for a wine like this it's like a two ounce pour isn't going to do anything for you you kind of need to you need to be experience in it to win a glass it. Yeah. yeah and go through it and so you know once you start to drink a little more and get over that initial acid hump there are a couple of flavors I think I can pick out I mean I'm getting some definitely that residual sugar you know that is certainly there but I want to say like underripe cherry like early summer summer stone fruits oh she digging deep people she's she's really like she's rummaging around in her very big purse right now (laughs) the look Jules is giving me right now is priceless like bitch bullshit (laughs) There ain't no cherries up in here. All right, all right. What's what's your read on this glass? I think also it's it it maybe is a little bit difficult for us to kind of pinpoint what we're tasting because we don't know where the grapes are coming from, specifically. Fair. As we discussed, right? Like, we're not sure exactly 
what vineyards are coming from. So right. unlike a lot of the other wines that we've talked about together, like we know where the wines are coming from. We know what the climate is. So we can kind of understand what the grape is doing and therefore how it's translating in the glass. And this is just a little bit more of that. I mean, it is mass produced. It's mass distributed. So it's got, I don't want to say that it's nondescript, but it's, it's a little bit like that where I'm just not picking up on very specific things like I do with a lot of the wines that we try. Right. Well, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, like, personally, I really love terroir-forward wines or, or wines that are terroir-driven. Like, that's what I'm into. I want to be able so to... So explain to the listeners what that means. So that means that they're these are wines that are really reflective of the place that they come mm -hmm. from. So... That you know, whatever the soil composition is or the climate, um, whether they were grown on the sun slope, the sun facing slope, or the you know, west or the wind facing slope, mm -hmm. all those things contribute to yeah. what ends up in your glass. And for me, you know, a glass of wine tends to tell a story about a place, about a maker, and that's what I really love about wine, and that's why I'm so drawn to it. You know, and to be fair, a bottle like this, this is a, is is meant to be a consistent crowd pleaser, right? Mm -hmm. Like with this type of wine, you are, if you go to any shop, um, wine shop, BevMo, Target, your grocery store, wherever, this bottle of wine is probably always going to taste this way. And if you like this style of rosé then this is your jam. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and you know that it's going to always taste the same. Right. But, and to be fair, like, <laughs> I showed up to our recording session today and I had this bottle and then I had another unlabeled bottle that our friends at Lusu Cellars up in Berkeley sent us. And it it's, it's also a rosé. It is going to be a completely different experience. It is small production, terroir forward, unfiltered, semi-sparkling, crazy wine chemistry experiment that the winemaker David up there um, is trying out. So, you know, it's just like a different style, right? And it's, mm -hmm. it, And to me, it's not fair to kind of measure those two things up against each other, um, but rather like think about Okay, what's in like what is in our glass this episode and what is its intent, what is its purpose, and does it live up to that? If you want that tried and true rose, like this is always going to be that consistent flavor profile, you know, this is a is a good bottle to think about, right? Or if you also are serving like a large number of people and you want everyone to have that consistent experience and maybe you can't get multiple bottles of a certain thing. Another reason. I, I'm i going to disagree with that a little bit because of the price point. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so that's the other at thing, too. So at $20, I, you know, this isn't a bottle that I feel like I'm going to buy 10 of because I'm hosting, like, a garden party, and I want everyone to have the same wine. You know, I will agree it's there. it's a little bit cost prohibitive to do that, I think. So for me, the price point of this wine, for what it is, what it is to me, I wouldn't, I'm not super jazzed about paying that money for it. And that's fair. I mean, I do think that there are better tasting rosés on the market for, for $20. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Or, and for less. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
you talked a little bit about, you know, if you were serving this a large group of people. So why don't we kind of roll into our kind of situational analysis of the wine, food, situation, entertainment. What do you want to be eating with this wine? I don't know. Um, yeah, this is kind of like, I feel like this is a little bit of the issue with this wine is that I'm not getting that feeling of like, I know exactly, I'm seeing myself in this particular situation. I'm eating this thing. It's more, I think, general, maybe a little more generic of like, you're at a summer party and it's a buffet of like picnic style foods. I've got one. I've got one Okay, go for it. So I've had a very long week. I've had a very trying week. And there are times, especially towards the end of the week, where um, I, I don't, I don't want to really, I don't want anything special. I just want a glass of wine. I just want to drink. <laughs> yeah, I just, just need want to drink, everybody. And it's five o'clock, and that's just what has to happen. And I don't want to think about like pulling I wanna, something I special think about or where it. did it come from? How much was it? I, I just want to pull a bottle yeah, and drink. I don't want to pair anything with it. I want to like order in like Thai food or like really greasy Chinese food. I want to eat on my sofa in my pajamas and I want to fall asleep there after my second glass. Just to note, everybody, Drea does not just have pajamas. She has puglamas. I do have puglamas. Thank you. They're glamorous pajamas. <laughs> Shout out to our girlfriend, Jennifer Grace, because she makes the puglamas. You know, it's it's a wine that's like, it's easy drinking it doesn't, it's not pretentious. It doesn't have to try too hard. And I'm not going to feel that bad if I don't finish the bottle, frankly. Okay. And so, Fair. you know, that's kind of where I'm at. I would also do this, like, you know, during the pandemic shutdown, one of the things that I um, started doing pretty often was Just drinking. Well, I was already doing that, <laughs> and thank God. Um, no, but I, I got, I had a kiddie pool, and I'd blow it up, fill it with some water. Yes. Sit out there all day with your rose, with my rose, and yeah. and a book, and um, that became like a weekend staple during the pandemic. And you know, this is something I'd start drinking at like one o'clock and be like, "All right, this is fine." Okay. <laughs> now, I feel like it's a little heavy for that. Well, going back to you've it coats right. the glass pretty well. Just so our listeners know, I showed up to our recording session with a roadie gin and tonic. She so, did. She I did, mean, y'all. It, that that happened. This is just, and I. This is part of the reason why I love her. This is just who she is. <laughs> so I All feel right, so like what are you situational doing? <laughs> kind of like I'm. I'm gonna kind of put the situation and the food together as I am want to do. Um. I'm I'm just sort of thinking like a picnic where you have easy yeah the easy. cooler or the ice bucket where everybody's bringing something and everything kind of gets stuck in the ice and everybody's just sort of pouring themselves a glass. This is for me. I will have one glass of this. Yeah. This isn't. This isn't a. Oh, I better put this in my special secret place because I don't want anyone else to have it. I want to drink this whole only. bottle to myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this for me is like just sort of the um common. Like the common, the common room. The com- it goes into the common room, right? Like everybody gets to have a little bit of it. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't want the whole thing. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Well, yeah. and also, I mean, I think what we're both saying too is, this is a bottle 
that maybe you open up when you're not really in the space to to think about or even necessarily fully appreciate what's in your glass. Yeah. I mean, and and I've learned this the hard way where there have been times when we have opened up a really nice bottle and mm. we really should not have. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, we've all been in that yep. position, I think. So it's like, I don't know. Maybe I went out. Maybe I had some cocktails. Maybe I've come home and decided it's not time to stop. And I'm going to open a bottle. Bingo. Yep. yep. Yeah. So, I mean, all this to say, too, we do try to review the wines that we drink very honestly and openly. Yeah. And, you know, maybe this isn't going to entice you to go out and necessarily and drink this particular bottle. But the thing that I do want to go back to is kind of the ethos of, you know, why this particular um, absolutely company was started and what they're doing and, and all the other stuff that they are doing along with it in terms of, you know, their contribution to society and to empowering women. And I think that that's really important. So just because this particular bottle wasn't my favorite does not mean at all that I wouldn't go out and try some of their other wines. Absolutely. I mean, you know, they have quite an extensive catalog yeah. of what they're making. So Black Girl Magic is just one of their lines. They have multiple wine lines at multiple price points. They also have She Can, as we talked about. Which we're going to, yeah. Which is, you know, a really amazing product that's been part of the whole, like, revolutionary movement and making wine more accessible that's really happened over the last five years or so. So yeah, I, I definitely would not judge, you know, the entire organization on this bottle. Yep. And, and here's the other thing too, this wine is someone's jam. Yes. You know, Just like I, it's not my yeah, jam. Exactly. It's, I think it's even a little bit more Drea's jam than mine. Like I think she would more happily drink it than I would. And that just goes to show you that we all have different palettes and different tastes and maybe just at different times of the day and situations. Like I maybe if I wasn't a picnic and that was in the ice bucket and I poured myself a glass, I'm like, this is great. Fine. Yeah, sure. Why not? For one glass. Yep. Awesome. Feeling yeah. it. And um, I know I have a lot of friends. I have. I'm thinking you don't of- have any friends. <laughs> <laughs> She's lying. Oh, she is lying. She's lying. This is like that underripe cherry. <laughs> um, my mom. No, I think like I think my mom would really like this wine. It Rose. would be her. She loves her rosé. Rose. Rose loves a rosé. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> hey, your dad might like this wine. What you talking oh about? Oh my gosh. <laughs> he might. So, um, Drea, tell us a little bit about where people could get this wine. I know we kind of touched on it. So the great thing about this wine is it's readily available pretty much anywhere. So you can purchase direct through their website, um, McBrideSisters.com, and that's where you can view their full line lineup of wines, um, both bottled and canned, and all their different varietals that they produce. They also have some great packages rolling right now, too, so you can bundle your bottles up. But if you just, you know, want to casually go pick up a bottle... Target. Grocery store, Target. I've seen them at Class Plus World Market. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are they're everywhere. Yeah, they're yeah. really well readily available. And I've got to tell you, they've done a phenomenal job kind of finding that marketing niche within the wine industry, like the mass market wine industry. Um, they've gotten a lot of press, a lot of really good press. And a lot of that is attributed to the work outside of wine that they're doing to empower women and to really focus on women in the wine world. So, 
you know, give them a follow, check out their offerings. And if you have tried something that other than the rosé and you were excited about it or you have an experience with Black Girl Magic or any of the McBride Sister wines that you want to share, you know, dive on into those DMs. We're on Instagram at two, two girls in a great pod, T-W-O, girls in a great pod. Or you can email us at two girls in a great pod, same deal, at gmail.com. So, um, yeah, let us know. And until next time, salute, salute.